Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Happy holidays and what is good, Internet? It is me, Austin Walker, on another day of our holiday podcasts. Uh, joining me today is a, is a slightly cut down group. It's just me. It's just Patrick. It's just Rob. Austin, just we're, saying, little... Austin we're saying Merry Christmas now. No, no. I'm saying happy holidays. So I'm Austin, saying, we're saying Merry Christmas now. Hanukkah's we're saying over, but you Merry wanna... Christmas is back. Christmas is back. It went away, but now it's back. Where'd it go? <laughs> I, I... Who got rid of it? Get to the, uh, I, what was, was Obama doing with I all those Christmas Harry, wishes? Ask Harry Reid. It's with the alloys. Oh, it's with the alien alloys. Do you think that by the time this podcast comes <laughs> out, we'll know what's up with those alien alloys? Do you watch well, that I mean, video? Do you watch that anything. video? I watched the video. It's that really guy, weird. It's really weird. I fucking love that article so much. I know we already talked about it on a different <laughs> podcast. On a different I day? Just, I don't know where I don't know where that, that day might not continue. happened yet. I don't even oh. know. Alien alloys. I'm sweating about those alien alloys. <laughs> uh, what I want you to sort about instead, though, is the future, Patrick. Oh, that's easy. About... That's easy. That's easy. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. So today on the site, you wrote a, a piece about um, uh, loot boxes, one of this year's major themes, one of the major trends in in gaming in 2017. Uh, you know, what do you, what do you think about loot boxes? Well, it was interesting because as part of uh, sort of trying to think about loot boxes a little more like holistically i thought it'd be interesting to go back and read how people were talking about sort of like the advent of microtransactions which i think like the most contemporary example like like sort of when it entered the mainstream um in a way that we were thinking about like oh this is going to change everything was like when the xbox 360 launched and Mm -hmm. uh elder scrolls four 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 oblivion uh was released and they you know Infamously, like one of the first pieces of uh, DLC they put out was for horse armor, like a cosmetic edition that I believe was a dollar fifty or two dollars or something like that. And I mean, people just like collectively like lost their shit about buying a completely optional cosmetic option for a game that you know. There are a lot of things you can say about you know Oblivion or or Skyrim, but like saying like they weren't like content rich or like feature complete right, like it's right. is not one of those like they it is not a game that you play and go aha i see where they're about to nickel and dime me on, <laughs> um on the, or along the edges like uh and so it was interesting to one i've been doing this long enough and i was like i wonder what people were saying about that when that happened and then i googled right. it and i 
I was able to – one of the articles that came up was an article I wrote in 2006. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, all right. Where did where, – where were you? Was that – I was in was I was in college. Was I was in college like, writing <sighs> for 1UP. I was I, – I graduated in 2006, I believe. So I might, maybe okay. I was at 1UP at that point. I can't I can't quite remember the – uh, the exact moment of time. I have to go look at the the timestamp on the that date. Yeah, but but yeah, I was able to. I was like, we're I can now start using my own material as like reference material in stories that I'm writing uh, more than ten years later. Um, it was interesting. So th- one of the quotes that I had plucked from like uh, a one up reader was um, in response to the horse armor was uh, they wrote one up user Ryan Kaplan, aka Tyler Hedras, wrote. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for the credit. <laughs> You're still out there, Ryan. I hope, I hope things are well for you. Uh, uh, I'm going to pay a premium for a nifty hat. I don't like the idea that if I want to color Master Chief White and Halo 3 multiplayer, I'll need to shell out even more <laughs> cash. Doesn't anyone else see that this micropayment crap will lead to incomplete games? Uh, which I thought was like a, 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 a uh, interestingly uh, prophetic statement for yeah. like where a lot of this would go over the next 10 years. Um, mm-hmm. It was also interesting to see how uh, Bethesda in a, a 2015 uh, like GDC talk, like looking back on Oblivion, uh, like they discussed like what it, the whole horse horse armor controversy. And one of the level designers, uh, this, uh, this guy named Joel Burgess, wrote uh, or said uh, back in 2005, developers were wondering, "Was what does DLC even mean? How do we make it? How do we expect to know what people even want to play or what it's going to cost?" Uh, we didn't know what we should charge. And so, like, you know, the tact that um, this designer was saying was that they kind of were just throwing shit at the wall to see it would stick, which is probably true, and someone had to start oh, yeah. doing that. But it's interesting, like, the, if we go from horse armor to loot boxes, uh, I think most people right now would say, bring back the horse armor. And instead what we got was, like, we now have gotten loot, like, horse armor in loot boxes is essentially right. like where things like Overwatch have gone. Like Overwatch cause... and Destiny and so many other like customization, visual customization type stuff that you don't even get right out of. You don't get to, you don't get to go to a store and say, "Oh, I want the gold horse armor." Right. You get a, a box, and maybe you don't even get a box. What you get is you decide: Do you want a gray box, a blue box, or a gold box? And and you know maybe if you get a gold box, you're guaranteed to get a really pretty horse armor, but not even the horse armor you necessarily want. And that is like the loot box situation in a lot of games and a lot of big games that would be, um, you know, would, would take up the same amount of time in your gaming schedule as games like Skyrim did. But now our multiplayer allowing you to show off this fancy new skin that you got from your blue box that you saved up for and you spent or you didn't save up for and you decided I'm just going to spend this $12 to get five blue boxes right now today. Um, and that's, that's the kind of skin job I'd love to retire. <laughs> Thank you, Rob. Thank you uh, for bringing your Ready Player One references here. That's oh, okay. wow. I guess I'm gonna leave the podcast now. <laughs> oh fuck, fuck me! Get I that weak ass eighty shit off Austin's get fucking the fuck podcast. Out of here. Was that Blade Runner? I didn't see any blades get run. Shit. Um, there are, are all eighties references now just forever tainted by by Thanks. Ernest Klein. Ernest Klein, you ruined it for everybody. Eighties <laughs> no uh, longer it? count. We're moving on to nineties references. Hell yeah, baby. Uh, it was a good joke, Rob. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, what's, what's and, and, you know, so also part of what I wrote about was sort of like the continuum or the escalation of irritation in 2017 uh, in which, you know, you've had folks like 
like a credit to you know uh, Jim Sterling, who used to be a sure. writer and critic over Destructoid, and uh, now uh, like mostly publishes uh, on YouTube. While he does do some writing um, at, at a website that he runs uh, for his own stuff as well. Like, he has been sort of like banging the drum about loot boxes and the idea that they are exploitative um, of people for at this point probably years would be an accurate. Uh, summation and, and there are folks that I, who I think there is legitimate credence to uh, this belief that loot boxes are inherently manipulative and exploitative and bad, and that even in a game like Overwatch, which I think for a lot of people the thought is, well, that doesn't materially impact what it is to play the game. I play, I pay thirty or forty bucks or whatever for, for the game, and that yes, uh, there are loot boxes, and and yes. Uh, you know, you could see a world where people are exploited out of that if they can't control themselves. But for like the vast majority of the people playing that game, uh, if they want to engage with that, they can. But it doesn't. It doesn't change when you pull the trigger. Like it is still a skill-based game, like the, at its core. And what irritated people about uh, Battlefront Two, which was which like came on an escalation of uh, uh, Middle Earth, uh, Shadow of War, and Forza Motorsport 7, which were both games that included loot boxes to varying degrees, like Shadow of War, you didn't need to engage with it, but it seemed like if you wanted to reasonably get through the end games, like the post-game stuff, in a way that didn't take you a bajillion years, like you might want to have to engage with that, Forza was just like confusing across the board, so there's just two games that was like sloppy execution of the concept of loot boxes, and the Battlefront 2 did, which was meaningfully and materially different than what any other game uh, of that scale had done prior to it was mingling that with the game design, which is to say that what, well, the way that Battlefront 2 works is that uh, when you you equip cards to your character, and these cards imbue you with different powers, sometimes that means you throw like a thermal grenade instead of a whatever, like right, that, right. and then. It also has a material impact or can have a material impact on things like health regeneration, like, you know, like how much damage you're outputting. And what that does is that it means, like, it is not in purely skill-based or, like, a rock-paper-scissors scenario in terms of, like, when two players encounter each other. It could be the the case that someone shoots someone, another player in the head at the exact same time, one goes down because the other person got the right dice roll from a loot box, and right. because those loot boxes are things that can both be earned through in-game credits, although at a slower rate than people were happy with, and they ended up altering yes. like the drop rate um, so that people could get that faster, it also meant you could buy it. And so it intermingled with the design and created an air of suspicion, an air of, like, how can I trust anything that they're doing in this game in a way that I, you know, r- resulted in the complete Ooh. shitstorm that we saw, you know, going forward. And that loss of trust, I think, was pretty key, and, and, and the sort of realization for me, this kind of hits into this larger thing that happened throughout the year in games. Not the larger thing, but a, not a larger thing at all. But a th- there was a through line of, of this sort of thing. Uh, one of my favorite things that happened this fall was the thread of of ways in which game designers tricked players. The sort of thing of like, oh, did you know that the first few shots that a splicer uh, throws at you or shoots at you in Bioshock are programmed to miss but get your attention? I love it so much. And so part of the response to that was like, it's like fuck you. No, it's a it's a fair fight. And not the not the whole response. I don't even think that the majority of the response was that. But you could find a line of response that was like, I want a fair fucking game. 
I want to know that I killed that splicer. I killed that boss. I killed that. I, you know, I beat, I won the race. There was no rubber banding. There was no, the designers didn't make it in my favor or, or make it extra hard against me. And I don't think those are the same type of thing, but this notion of like the, the desire for all gameplay to be perfectly equitable and the focus on like the design shouldn't be influenced that way is something that we, that is like so loud and clear is something that this audience gets uh, invested in it also happened in destiny when they they figured out via some very clever uh math that in destiny 2 um after you hit the max level you continue to increase your level count uh but you keep gaining xp and when you level up you get an extra loot box basically you can go cash in a loot box to get um a a uh, an aesthetic customization thing like so skins or a different way for your gun to look or a, a mod that can make you play a little bit better actually um and what they figured out was certain activities were reporting uh you know let's just say xp 10 but actually we're only giving x like 5 xp or something um and that was said that was really repeatable that you could easily grind out and you were actually getting less than what it was reporting um and so like, i think it's been really interesting to see this as a place where again and again um this community has this desire sometimes for almost all often for for better i think sometimes for worse uh that like no we need a fair playing field and i'm curious how to motivate that desire towards making uh the world of gaming a little bit more equitable in general and like how to actually find a new platform because i think the notion that people getting really angry about loot boxes can be easy to laugh at when you don't have an addictive personality, when you don't you don't have a gambling addiction specifically, uh, or when you haven't spent a lot of money on this. When in general, it's easy for you to, or if you have enough money to just be like, yeah, fuck it, I'll buy a box every now and then. Right. This is a fun little extra thing. It's so easy to frame that as a non-problem uh especially like if you're us and you get a lot of games for review sent to you it's like oh well i I didn't spend 60 bucks on this i'll I'll toss them 20 bucks for crates and shit because i enjoyed this game like it's so easy to convince yourself of that and to not think about it either as a problem or to even think about it in a in a meaningful um analytical way and think about what can you do with that passion and energy of people caring and for me the thing that i'm really interested in is and you wrote a piece about this earlier this year, Patrick, in which you said, well, what is the alternative to loot boxes? Is it, uh, you know, an increased pay? You know, is it spending 70 bucks on a game instead of 60 bucks? Like, if these companies want that money and are demanding, need to get that money, they need to get that budget paid for or whatever, what's that look like? Um, and I want to just get let's get a white a whiteboard in front of us right now. Let's reimagine the games industry without loot boxes. What are our options? What are the things that you want to bring to the table as potential ways of, of doing that? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Not just you, Patrick. Rob, too. All of us. <laughs> Huh. I don't know, Rob. Is there anything comes to mind for you? I mean, I look at that whiteboard, uh-huh. and all I see are yep. complications and the limits of my own understanding. <laughs> like, and I mean, like, what I mean is, 
I do not have a good enough grasp of the economics of of video games itself. Like, for instance, if you work in a large company, um, you sort of have to fight for budget uh, yeah. year after year. Like, this is this is a feature of any large company, and so it's very easy to get in the mindset of thinking, well, look. Resources are tighter than you think. There's only so much money to go around. But what you never see is the money that never hits your budget and goes elsewhere in the company to other priorities or other stakeholders. And so to an extent, like, yes, loot boxes are meant to support uh, and make more economically viable the creation of these large platform-style games, these large AAA games. Uh, But at the same time, like, is that money actually paying people's salary or is like every dollar on loot boxes, 70 cents of that is going to electronic arts shareholders. Uh, And you know, you know what I mean? It's like, I do not know the degree to which loot boxes are making the industry sustainable for making the kinds of games that I like versus the degree to which loot boxes are managing to keep capital invested in bankrolling games that I like. And those are two so different things. How do you get to the point where you get to the, that information so that you can you can actually make that accurate that more accurate judgment? Is that just about trying to push companies to become more transparent, which I know seems impossible, but you know, uh, uh as as uh, Ursula K. Le Guin said, you know, so did the divine right of kings. Yeah. Uh I think the question is transparent there's there's already a surprising amount of transparency with public publicly traded companies, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's already a, a lot of accounting information that, that you can glean. Uh, I, I think it's, and this is what I mean about like lack of, lack of seeing that whole picture, like that stuff I would have to dig into. But, but I think the, the, the bigger issue I suppose is, okay. So years and years ago, though mm-hmm. in the one up yours days, yeah. uh, there's a phrase that got batted around a lot, which was, you know, hey, blank loves to make money or something right, like right, that. Right, right. And you still hear people trot versions of this out. It's like the sort of faux worldly way to explain why something fucking sucks. Uh, <laughs> it's because like, hey, man, this is capitalism and this is a business. It ain't a charity. And I feel like loot boxes sort of fit into that where it's kind of this sort of hand wavy like, look, man. Uh, this is how they make. This is how they it's make the cost money. Of doing business, yeah. yeah. But we never ask, like, who the fuck is they? Right. Like, whose salaries are being paid? You know, being paid by loot boxes. Like, what projects were actually literally not profitable without without loot boxes? I don't know those questions. And the other, the linked, like the other part of this uh, is that <sighs> games have been surprisingly inflation resistant. Uh, yeah. This is true. Uh, but at the same time, like skilled laborers in the game industry are often undercompensated. Uh, and for, and for again, uh, often very easily replaceable games. Game development often has this period of, of scaling up in in its kind of big push towards the middle and the fi- kind of the final two chapters of, of development, kind of the, the final two acts of, of game development, and then often will will lead to mass layoffs after a major project finishes, uh, or or at the very least moving those people uh, you know into onto different projects. You know, even in places where where you end up uh, keeping your job. You don't well, so always stay on. You don't always stay on a project that you actually want to be on, which was, you know, again, that feels like the response should be, oh, it's the cost of doing business, you know. Actually, that, that, so that's an important point too. I, I suppose like loot boxes are meant to sort of be a way to sort of smooth out 
uh, what's otherwise a pretty spiky curve uh, on, on, you know, investment and return uh, and, and maybe make it a little more predictable as to what revenue a project is going to bring in. But the other aspect of this is a lot of studios, uh, a lot of developers do have that routine of staff up in the final sprint and then fire everybody after it ships. Right. Uh, and that is probably accepted too much as the cost of doing business, but also, uh, you know, a number of years ago, there was kind of an odd little story that uh, Jason Schreier, I think it was, wrote on Kotaku about the, uh, what is it, the video game Limbo that Ubisoft was running uh, yeah, they have they have yeah. essentially like a studio that is just meant to keep you employed in between projects till you get reassigned to something else. And it was just, and I'm not sure that Jason meant to imply this, but the way it was, I think, framed and the way a lot of people reacted to it is it was this like sad story of like, uh, you know, oh man, this is like the game developer Island of Misfit Toys. <laughs> when actually it was, if you've worked any kind of job, you know there's moments where there's like literally nothing to do. Now, the employer still needs you uh in, you know, it might be a, it, it might be a few hours, it might be a week, whatever. They still need your services. And Ubisoft like, kind of to their credit maintain a system where like those people are kept on payroll and kept employed and shuffled from priority to priority. Uh which is far better than the will make everyone a contractor, fire their ass when the thing ships. And then hire them back in six months when we need them again, right? Uh, and I and I think that's the that's the other weird thing of like uh, maybe over identification with the interests of shareholders and businesses as opposed to people. We tend to reflexively like look at a story like that. Oh man, all these people are sort of shuffled into this uh, between projects like limbo state where they're not being productive employees for <laughs> you know a month or two. Uh, that's fucked up, man. And it's like no. Uh, no, that's, that's, that's called security. a break. Yeah. 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 Right. Which is like, which is, there are other, there are other industries in which we recognize that as part of what the industry is, right? Like we, we, I don't think anyone thinks that, uh, all-star quarterbacks should not get a break. It should not have an off season. You well, know? <laughs> I mean, if you, if you, you're right, you're right. You're right. I thought about the NFL fans for, for a few seconds. And also the, there. also the NFL itself has talked about like expanding like yeah, the amount of games that. per year without actually like modifying like the players union contract. So. All right, so here's my yes, and so maybe this is the thing for me is like these are the issues on which game developers who often find themselves uh, facing criticism over business practices that they did not put into play. Uh, to some degree, for me, the thing that I would love to see happen is a a developer focused restructuring of how the the all of this this um uh, restructuring of the conversation so that things like the ubisoft uh you know island of misfit developers can be framed and talked about as being desirable instead of being uh weird um you know years ago i i, I wrote a, a piece with uh waypoint freelancer ian williams um about a video uh that blizzard put out that was just a recruitment video and on first watch, it's like it was a really, um, it was a, a really tepid, like simple thing. Like, oh, come work at Blizzard. We have a great company culture. Um, we got good food. You know, I have so much passion for making games. Love to make games. All I wanted to do my whole life is make games. And one of the things that bummed me out was that Blizzard has reported, you know, reportedly really good 
company culture when it comes to material benefits for workers um, has a, a you know a, a, at the time that we were writing anyway had a, a a good history with keeping developers on with offering good benefits with you know having uh, the the space for people to develop new ideas to work with people in other departments and none of that was part of their recruitment effort. None of that was part of why you should go want to work at Blizzard. It all came down to, I'm passionate about World of Warcraft. I'm passionate about Diablo. I'm passionate about these brands and about games. Uh, and what I want to see happen, and the way for me to get out of the loot box problem, is to start, and I, you know, the, for me, the end goal is, is, of course, going to be about organizing developers eventually, but you don't need to get there on the first, you know, right away. You start by having those conversations and doing that reporting and, and you know, if you're in the de development community, talking about your interests in a way that's material and about, like, hey, the people who get fucked over <laughs> by bad loot box, you know, situations are the developers who now feel like they're in a less stable position because of fan reaction. The way that you get to to saying that, like, the, the Ubisoft, like, uh, development limbo situation actually offers extra job security and a space to, again, kind of fuck <clears throat> around and figure out what you want to do next and try out new projects uh, is for developers to be able to talk about that stuff in a way that shows that it's actually beneficial uh, and and for us, uh, you know, on our side to 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 report on that stuff in a way that's comprehensive and and actually kind of situates those things in the context of of what where the industry is at like i don't think we get to get rid of loot boxes like for me the way you get rid of loot boxes is you you have to fundamentally rethink what a budget for a video game is and like and think about what those goals look like and and get the business into a place where you're able to make that money back without turning to loot boxes. And it's like, so it's funny. It's like, a big uh, ask. It's a big ask. It's I interesting know. to look at a company like take two, because prior to mm. the prior to GTA five and GTA online, in which they found like a golden goose to make them money over uh, uh, like several years or like in between. Mm -hmm. Basically, if you go back for like the last like 10 years of take two's uh, fiscal quarters, um, yep. like their calls, essentially it's them saying like, we didn't make that much money or we lost money. And then the, the investors <laughs> go, when's the next Rockstar game? And they say, well, yep. Rockstar finishes their games. When, and they basically take two subsisted on like Rockstar, like, you know, games like Bioshock. Like they, some games did okay, but essentially as a company, they were mm -hmm. like, Rockstar was subsidizing everything below them. And like take two's in a much better right. place as a company now than they were um a little you know like five or six years ago but like for for a while like that's essentially how that company operated in which like one game made so much money that allowed them to try and take risks on other ones in the hopes that they could find like a better balance sheet but for a while that's basically how it would take two work and i i wonder also uh video games more than i don't know i can't say this universally but like much more than a lot of other industries are incredibly opaque about how money is made, how much money is made, right? Like, so, like, you know, the, the Last Jedi comes out, right? Yeah. I can go look up the box office returns and how much Disney mm -hmm. spent on marketing, yeah. or at least there are credible estimates for, like, all of the, of, a lot of those things. And the video game industry has, year after year, in collaboration with, like, outside industry tracking groups, like the MPD group, like, uh, yep. essentially coordinated to hide information about how the industry is doing Financially, you combine that with the fact that like Steam essentially took over PC game sales 
and locked that behind. Like, you don't get they Like, Steam Spy, that's why Steam Spy is incredible. Because it finally unlocked, like, this enormous black box of really interesting information. And uh, I think if you suddenly the industry uh, tomorrow would, like, um, you know, just get, open its books so everyone can look at it. I'm not saying that would solve everyone's, like, trust issues with video game publishers and the incentives they have. But I think, like, the industry as a whole has just, like, systematically created a situation in which it's unclear how money is spent, how much games make, where that money goes. And then right. – so when you get into a situation where, like, if the company is saying we need to do games as a service because – this is where games are going. Games are getting more expensive, and we we need to do these things in order to justify making the games that you love. And I think it's reasonable to be deeply suspicious of whether that's true, even if it could be one hundred percent true. Like there, it's what it's 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 the conundrum of like the loot box and its implementation of a game instead of in, the, in which it then shed, like destroys the credibility of it, the the design of the game uh, uh, holistically. And I think. That's also something that happens here, which is people do ha- do not have any reason to reasonably trust what they're being told about why right. things are or aren't necessary. Like, go back and look up the quotes about why games had to be increased from $50 to $60 at the advent of the Xbox 360. Where we remember, Microsoft, for uh, for the first year or, like, the first six months, they didn't go to the $60 price point. They yeah. sold it at $50 saying... Well, you know, games are getting more expensive, but there's also, like, the licensing fees, which is why all these third parties have to, you know, they're going to $60. And they know Microsoft did. They started charging $60 because yep. why, why did Sony, like, suddenly uh, they, they were like, uh, we're not going to charge you for uh, a PlayStation Network. And then <laughs> PS4 comes along and like, motherfuckers, we're charging a PlayStation Network. Yep. And uh, I think there's just, there's a lot of distrust that is that is well like, look, the internet likes to rage. Like, and people are going to get pissed off for because they want to get on their high horse because they want to get uh, likes and you know Reddit gold and all that shit. Like, there there is always going to be a place for people just wanting to paint someone as the villain because it's it's a bandwagon, it's popular on the internet. But I, I there's no way that you can't sit here and say the video game industry didn't ask for it in a lot of ways, or at least create, if not ask for it, then create a circumstance in which people are going to take advantage of that and and push back in a way that um, ultimately ends up hurting developers, right? Like, I don't right, I right. don't know how Battlefront 2 was made. But is it reasonable to think that a studio that had never put loot boxes into their game before was suddenly said, hey, we have what could be one of the biggest video game of 2017 because let's forget the Battlefront or the PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds came out. Uh, right, right, right. Sure. You think they said like, fuck yeah, let's put in loot boxes because that's going to like fundamentally upend our design and like probably piss off a lot of people. Like, no, that probably came from uh, maybe that was a compromise decision that was like, hey, we need, you know, budget's got to go this way. But like if you're going to if you're not going to charge for a season pass, we need to charge for it another way. Um, And I don't know. It's it's, there obviously are no easy answers to this, but I I also think as much as like I'm, uh, you know, often. Uh, want to say like ah like I hate it when quote unquote gamers just want to rage on on Reddit and, and other places like there are legitimate grievances with the implementation of a lot of these things and there are legitimate reasons for people to be inherently distrustful of the the lines they are being fed from companies because it's impossible to know whether when they say we need to do this do they actually need to do right that? which but I think goes back to that lack of transparency Rob go ahead sorry no but and I, and I think that's Part of why this is, in some ways, easier to get away with 
Um, so when we initially talked about loot boxes, uh, I was uh, a little bit dismissive of uh, the angle that these are actually harmful to people because I didn't didn't really get it. Um, and I think where that was coming from to an extent was that, you know, I said at the time, my suspicion is the people who complain the loudest, the people who are buying the shit out of these. Uh, and what I was thinking when I was saying that was like, uh, this idea that like gamers are often trained to behave like, uh, I think somebody on Twitter, I can't remember who, uh, might've been a uh, medicine junkie on, on Twitter. Uh, is that Naomi? Yeah, Naomi. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, might have said like you know they're trained to be consumer kings, uh, and I think that's part of where this gets a little bit uh, confusing uh, for me. For me personally, is that there are types of players that I think are legitimately vulnerable to these tactics and these are abusive and exploitative. Like literally like loot boxes are designed to sort of like hack human psychology. Like there's, there's, there's no secrecy there. Like this is really well, (laughs) this is research stuff. Uh, It's not coming out of nowhere. Uh, But at the same time, the backlash against it often smacks of a different form of consumer entitlement uh, to other people's output and other people's labor uh, that you encounter in a lot of spaces around uh, the conversation around games. Mm-hmm. And I think that in some ways makes it very easy to view certain, to, to view people complaining about it as, as the enemy or people who are just trying to get one for free uh, a, a little bit, uh, particularly right. because those, those types of gamers can be so loud that it is very easy to lose all like to lose all empathy for them entirely, right? Like to sort of hit that point of like fuck it, skin them alive, and just walk away from it. And I think that's a that's a an element of this as well uh, is that it's hard to it's it's hard to tune out uh, the legitimate and well founded concerns around loot boxes and whether or not they're actually doing what uh, publishers are saying they're doing from just the more generalized. Uh, <laughs> right, you mean, know, this is, brigading this is, that you say. Right. Well, this is kind of the heart of the frustration for me is that the people whom I would love the world in which this could become a rallying point for people who disagree about a lot of things, but do want the games industry to be a better, more stable place where people are able to make games that they love without having them compromised. Even if that means that we get one less AAA publisher, uh, all, all said, or even if we get, you know, less games, uh, you know, games take a longer time to develop or games are shorter instead of being, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 hours, they're 10 or 20 or 30 hours. Like, I, I would like this to be a place where we could find that common ground. And part of what you get out there, Rob, is that the big part of the problem is the people who I would want to be with us here on this are often the same people who have acted as gatekeepers, as misogynists, as racists, who have drawn lines uh, around games and defended them, who have defended companies, who today might say, fuck EA for loot boxes, and tomorrow might say, stop criticizing Valve. And the dilemma for me is how to push that part of that audience into a place where there is 
a lot more self-reckoning done um, that like about all of those issues so that when it, when there are opportunities for, for the building of coalitions and the addressing of issues that run through the games industry. And again, we just finished recording another, another podcast where I talked about e-waste and talked about crunch and all that stuff. Like, the way that we as as you know writers and also as consumers can can help those issues is to be united and loud about that stuff but it's so hard to be united with someone who is going to call you fucking slurs uh on twitter because you didn't like the last jedi as much as they did or you did like it more than they did or you for whatever reason don't use the tab button to loot in player unknown's <laughs> battlegrounds right like and that is that is where we're at and it's so fucking hard to understand how like I don't know. It's been one of those years where, where there's been lots of attempted coalition building in politics, and the things that keep that from happening uh, can be very absurd and small and frustrating. But nothing as, as absurd and small and frustrating as someone saying you don't count as, as a true gamer because your mouse sensitivity is too low or because you only play games on console. Like It feels sometimes like there is so much foundational work to be done here. I mean, even the notion of like maybe one of the solutions to this is we should start playing games that don't have loot crates in them. Full stop. There are a billion good games out this year. Most of them don't deal with this shit at all. And it's frustrating that the new good thing, that the new thing that all your friends are playing has these things. But but even it's a foundational problem for us that like we feel a compulsion to keep up. Partially it's for us as our jobs, but even when it wasn't my job, I wanted to keep up. I wanted to play the new thing. I wanted to to do whatever it was. Instead of going on Steam or, or now Itch or, or honestly even onto something like the Switch Marketplace, which is filled with decent games that I could support from small developers who are not going to nickel and dime me like this. Um, I don't know. This is me just voicing frustration. This is my my turn around the, uh, the old... Um, what is the fucking poll called? I'm, I'm so exhausted. Maypole? Nope. What's the Seinfeld one? Oh, the Festivus poll. The Festivus For the airing poll. of grievances. I'm airing my grievances. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for picking up that fucking drop ball. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So like, that's that's where I'm at with all of this. And, and I don't know how to build those coalitions until we get to this common ground of like not just being not just having people who are shitty. Maybe maybe the answer is we don't need the people who are shitty. Maybe we can b- build coalitions without those people. I think that is the answer. Um, so yeah, maybe that's what it is. Let's because I think on that. in the death throes of neoliberalism, the thing we have learned is that those coalitions are incredibly flimsy and will right. stop short of making systemic change. And yeah. then half your coalition will turn at you at the drop of a dime. Yep. Uh, yeah, so I yeah, the, like I do not think the person who is going to be like, man, no, this, games are a pure meritocracy where it's all about skill and who's the best at the game, and this and this uh, loot box breaks breaks that trust between me and the developer. I think that person has a fifty fifty shot of either getting it or giving a developer a death threat the next time they introduce like a story mode uh, to a shooter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, totally. All right. I think on that note, unless someone has some some loot box takes. No? Okay. Yo, if you love looting, Talos 1 Space Station is full of boxes. What's inside (laughs) them? Who fucking knows? Who knows? Maybe it's ammunition. Maybe it's a shotgun. Maybe it's trash you could turn into ammunition. Maybe it's an audio recording of a bunch of space nerds playing D&D. That game's good. That game's good. It's not going to make my list, but it's good. 
You son of a bitch. <laughs> God, oh, this people. coalition is over. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm building a coalition with Austin. Thank you. Thank uh, you, Patrick. Fine. I guess me the... and capitalism are going to go off and well, save the world. <laughs> exploit yeah. some people. Probably me. Probably you. Yep. Go uh, play Doki Doki Literature Club, Rob. Then come back to me. Uh, also, go play Gorgoa. That game's great. All right, let's uh, let's let's call it here. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back tomorrow with another one of these. You know where where to go. I'm not going to do a whole big thing. Uh, Danielle isn't here, so I'm going to say this part: be good and be good at it. Horse armor. Okay. <laughs> great. Good. Do it at 50. Oh, we get time. No, that's real quick. Yeah, close that. We'll not do it at 50. You got time. You got time. You can do it. You can do it. 49. All right. Ah, 50. Oh, wait. Would you actually do it? Did we get it? No, I, I did it. I didn't, was, oh, I didn't do it. I didn't clap. Oh. No, Patrick. <laughs> you got to have faith, Patrick. 55. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it at five seconds. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.